oblivion faded, like waking from a dreamless sleep. The fright opened their eyes and saw a thousand masks watching them. Beyond the masks was shadow, deep and black as the starless void. From within the void came a thousand tiny whispers, all speaking as one. It is almost time, said the god of eternity. Time for the end. Elderblade Productions. This is Echoes of X Season. Season 3, Episode 9. The Tomb. confrontation since that day in Kamiya's tower. My father Gareth, kin of the feral soul, his mortal body possessed by the fright inside him, bound in chains to prevent the monster from being unleashed, hiding somewhere in this jungle, waiting for prey. Yet now, it was not the feral soul I feared, but my own father. Like seeds from an invasive plant, Vostri's words took root within me. In the following days, their overgrowth ran wild inside me. Your own father lies to you. It was all I could get out of Vostri. She'd been silent since the swamp all too content to watch this particular stream of fate run its course. Her granddaughter also struggled to find her voice, now that she'd been deprived of everyone else's. My kin and I led them, bound and gagged through the jungle. Gaz and Igneous took turns holding their foci, while I dragged them by rope. We watched them in shifts throughout the night. Without a means to channel their kin, they were powerless. So why did I feel like the one who was trapped? We took shelter for the night inside a copse of trees, shielding us from view. Luminescent moss provided a dark green light around us. Insects with long, silken trails buzzed about the air like streamers. I found a multicolored fruit glossy as a piece of tourmaline. Igneous assured me it was safe to eat. We settled down for the night, and I passed the food to Vostri and Akira. They sat on the opposite side of the encampment, eating the fruit in their bound hands, averting our gaze. Our campfire crackled, and our shadows danced against the wall of trees at our backs. 
are troubled, came Igneous' voice. The fright sat beside me, some sixty feet away from our captives. His throaty, grinding voice startled me. We hadn't spoken in hours, and he tended to blend into the scenery. It didn't help that he looked like a small rock slide when he wasn't moving. I kept my voice low, eyeing Vostri. I think we're being played. A low rumble came from Igneous's throat. It is suspicious. Four days and not a single escape attempt. Not even a glance at their foci. Do you think she knows what's coming? future seer? Perhaps. Though she herself admitted the streams can diverge. Thoughts popped and simmered in my mind like the campfire's embers. I went over the facts. When Varian Circle sought the child, Kumia, Ketra, and my father sheltered her inside sanctuary and employed me to fight them. The circle's foci are needed for the Feast of Passions, which would separate the child from the god fright inside her. The thought of it made me queasy, but it would allow the child to live without her powers. It was the only way to stop the god of eternity from destroying the shade and plunging the world into chaos. At least, that's what I've been told by my father man I trusted with my life, by Ketra, who saved me from Raxo's fury on the beach, and by Kamiya, who entrusted me with Gaz and Igneous to fight the Circle. Obviously my kin trusted Sanctuary's leaders, as did the other frights hiding from Limbarian. And it wasn't like Ketra or my father had any love for the Circle. They traumatized Ketra as a child. Because of them, my father couldn't even use his own body anymore. It would have been all too easy for them to simply kill the child as soon as we delivered her. They decided to spare her instead, at great risk to their plans. All right, I thought. So they're not pure evil. But were their motives entirely selfless? I, of all people, know what it's like to be tempted by power sacrifice my soul to it, one tiny sliver at a time. You never think about the consequences, the end game. It's always with good intentions. You haggle your conscience until it's penniless. It's all. my father wouldn't even be here if not for me. My contract with his old stole his memory too, driving him to seek answers. Straight into the shores of Ranta. I was trying to do the right thing in the wrong way. Like father, like son, perhaps? And there was one question in this garden of doubt, blooming like a poisonous flower. When we take away the child's power, I whispered to Igneous, where will it go? A few pebbles trickled off the golem's head as he pondered this. 
I do not know if her power is part of the Veilman's essence. Perhaps the mortal god would reclaim it. Perhaps. Unless someone else takes it first. Igneous looked at me, eyes hidden in the shadow of his prominent brow. Soul bond with a god? It would be suicide. The Veilman did it. Your father is not the Veilman. Neither are Ketra or Kumia. That much power would tear them apart. Not at first. Not before they could use that power to their whim. When Varian ruined their lives, I wouldn't blame them for wanting a little payback. And you think this is part of Winvarian's plan? I picked up a stick and prodded the campfire thoughtfully. I don't know. He wants to corrupt mortals, that's for certain. Drive us towards war and destruction however he can. He's had millennia to think about it. I wouldn't be surprised if he had a plan B. Igneous held his chin. All right. If what you say is possible, then what should we do? Without the ritual, Varian will simply keep hunting the child. His circle will grow until it is insurmountable. I'm not sure yet. But before we go back to Sanctuary, I think I need to speak with my father. shook his head, grunting. His tomb. Father showed me where it was. North of here, at the beach. I could get there by daybreak. What about the prisoners? We cannot fight with you and watch them at the same time. I'm not asking you to. I've got an idea. If we do it right, not have to fight at all. Dawn came. As golden light drenched the world anew, I found myself atop a large limestone outcrop. I traveled through the night alone. Heading north, I followed the map given to me by Kamiya, until at last I quit the jungle and found myself overlooking the sea. The gray waves hissed in greeting. Salt water and algae tinged the air. Compared to the jungle, it was all relatively tame. I sat down on the limestone, watching the serenity from the precipice. The sun's reach grew, filling the cracks in the outcrop like molten metal in a blacksmith's forge. I took deep, cleansing breaths stealing my nerves in preparation for what I was about to do. I am Claude Von Der, I spoke, my voice swallowed by the ocean spray. I am kin of the Earthwind twins. I would have audience with the spirits of this place. Nothing replied. I waited, eyes closed. 
allowing the sounds of the ocean to envelop me. If I was correct in my hunch, this would take some time. After all, there was no reason for it to trust me. Not yet. A small chirp found my ears. I opened my eyes. A small black skink had crawled to the top of the outcrop. A single yellow stripe ran down its back. It stared up at me, motionless. A moment later, there was a caw overhead. A knife bird swooped down, perching on a rock to my side. Its blade-thin beak gleamed in the morning sun. It pecked at an insect on the ground, but otherwise remained still, eyes fixed on me. One by one they came. A viper, slithering down from a nearby tree. A mank-mank bounding from the jungle, its three tails trailing behind like whips. Insects bled out from the outcrop's fissures like blood from a wound. With a growl of regal disdain, a panther announced its presence. Within minutes, a mob of mammals and reptiles, birds and insects, predators and prey gathered around me. Every single one forming to a circle, their bodies taut and restless, yet still. I stood up, casting glances at the menagerie around me. I counted at least two dozen beasts that could kill me in a single strike. Were it not for the silver-blue light and the glass-like shards now floating in the air, I might have thought myself a goner. The shade is here, I noted, but it is weak. I was surprised to find my spirit self had not even separated from my physical body. Perhaps because Sanctuary was so close by, and took up so much energy. What could this mean, should things come to blows? Could I banish the feral soul in this state? Yet another thing that felt so different from my days with the Ebon Mist. No turning back now, I thought wryly. I... I take it you are the feral soul, I said warily. My father's kin. All at once, the menagerie responded. An aural assault of squawks, howls, and chitters. I could not understand them, but their noise seemed vaguely affirmative. This puzzled me. Typically in a parlay, one could speak with all manner of frights. Moreover, if this group of beasts was the feral soul, it was showing remarkable restraint for its namesake. Perhaps it's the chain's influence, I wondered, dulling its rage and intellect. I tried to keep my next words simple. I seek father. You Take me to him? Another cacophony of caws, hoots, and hisses. The animals hesitated. Some grew restless, stomping their feet in the dirt. Others huffed and raised their hackles. I raised my hands up, careful not to make any sudden movements. 
No harm, I said gently. Look, no weapons, no kin with me. Kin, gone. Tension gripped the back of my neck. My mind flickered to the thought of Gaz back at the camp, reading the note I'd left for him. Surrounded by fangs and claws, I now wish I'd reconsidered coming alone. Unease softened to stillness within the animal's ranks. I was about to say more when a lone raven broke formation. Tearing into the sky, I watched the black bird arc through the air. Its wings eclipsed the newborn sun before plunging downward towards the base of the outcrop. A reluctant procession followed. Skink, knife bird, and tiger alike. The beasts descended, each weaving their own paths from stone to stone. I began to follow, hands scouring the stones for something to grip. Faltering, I took my first steps down. The outcrop was jutting and staggered enough that I could get by without climbing gear. Midway down, though, things began to feel less secure. Beach winds buffeted the outcrop's face. Sea mist slicked the stones. Erosion was my enemy, smoothing out the rock wall's natural footholds. I dared not look down, so instead I listened for the feral soul. The menagerie's grunts and yelps echoed from several dozen feet below. Either the animals have made this descent many times before, or they were just naturally better at this sort of thing. It made me feel a bit pathetic by comparison. I couldn't help but wonder what would have become of humans had we been forced to survive in the wild. How would we have fared with our soft teeth and bodies? How did the Alzarians do it for millennia before Winvarian gave them the frets? I felt a twinge of sympathy for them. Who wouldn't weep at that kind of power? after generations of fighting monsters, sleeping in the cold, and climbing slippery. Whoa, whoa, whoa! A weak foothold crumbled under my weight. I caught hold of another one, only to slip on the wet surface. My balance was thrown, and a moment later I was falling. Like lead I fell, cold wind whipping my face. I clawed at the air, hoping to grasp some purchase on my way down. Nothing. My heart hammered. My face flushed. Sounds of crashing waves grew louder by the second. No one was there to come to my aid. I closed my eyes, marveling at my fortune. After everything, this is how it ends. In what felt like a break from reality, a hand seized my ankle in midair. I dangled, stomach lurching from the sudden stop. I opened my eyes. One of the mankmanks had caught me. It dangled from a vine, wrapped around a rock protrusion. It stared at me blankly, with wide, golden-brown eyes. A moment later, it repelled off the rock face, using the vine to swing us both towards a nearby plateau. It released me and the vine at the same time. In my case, it was just a bit too early. I spun through the air 
crashing hard into the plateau and skidding to a stop. The mank-mank touched down without a scratch. Groaning, I pushed myself to sitting. Thanks, I muttered. Though, could you try to let me down easier next time? The mank-mank flicked its three tails and scratched behind its ear. I took that as a no. A growl from below. Stepping to the edge of the plateau, I saw the rest of the animals gathered around a cave mouth, some twenty feet down. One of the tigers looked up at me, beckoning. The mank-mank who saved me jumped down without a thought. Once the shock had settled, I climbed down to join them. The mouth of the cave was sealed with several large boulders. At first glance, they seemed immovable. Then, I watched as the smaller creatures of the horde, snakes, lizards, rodents, slithered and burrowed into the cracks between the stones. Impossibly, I saw one of the boulders budge, shifting back just enough to leave a narrow opening to squeeze through. As I did, I noticed a makeshift pulley system on the inside of the cave, a block and tackle system, with the pulley attached to a large bucket. The rodents had clambered into the bucket, giving the pulley enough weight to pull the rock backwards. Obviously the beasts had some help in crafting this, I thought. Did someone from Sanctuary help them, before imprisoning my father? Beyond the cave's mouth, there was a short tunnel, which opened up into a wider cave. The floor was partially flooded from the tides, and moss-covered stalagmites abounded. In the center of the cave, resting atop a gravelly mound, there was a stone slab holding up a man covered in chains. It was my father. His body was still and unconscious. The chains glowed with trails of flame-like energy, though they did not seem to hurt him. I watched the feral soul gather around my father, forming a primal backdrop as I approached. Gareth of Shalecross looked the same as when I'd seen him in Sanctuary. The many times broken nose, wide mouth and dimples, a burn scar on his forehead, mingling with his snow-white hair. But his face and body lacked the tension I'd seen back then. Here, he rested in what seemed like peace. No doubt due to the magic of the chain, holding back his fright's worst impulses. This thought led me to the purpose of my visit. Looking around at the feral soul's menagerie, I noticed a distinct lack of commotion among them. An almost reverent silence had fallen and each animal gazed at me in anticipation. My father told me where to find him, and explained. He told me these chains kept him asleep, said he needed them to keep you all at bay. More silence. Even the apex predators gave rapt attention to me. I was uncertain what they were thinking. Perhaps they were just as uncertain about me. They had a right to be. Even I was barely certain what I was doing here.
plan was to return Vostri and Akira to Sanctuary before coming here. Perhaps I could have gotten reinforcements, or taken more time to prepare. It would have been a safer option by far, but it was also predictable. A thought occurred to me, one that I never thought I'd have. Pondering it was like scooping out my insides with a spoon. I stepped beyond the stone slab, facing out towards the cave mouth. My back was to the menagerie, and my father lay before me. The chain bound his body, but nothing tied him to the slab. My eyes drifted to the water around us. It was about a foot deep. Aaron dropped kissed the pool. It rippled our reflection, distorted it. Here's the thing, I said to the beasts, and anyone else listening. Every member of the circle has something that helps control their power. A coin, a pipa, a choker. Without them, they're useless. And I've been thinking, it makes sense. After all, if when Varian wants his circle to find the child, then he has no use for loose cannons that could endanger her. Like you, father, placing my hands on the cold stone slab, I bent down low, scanning my father's sleeping face. You haven't been honest with me. Gareth of Shalecross. You're perfectly in control of your fright. Which begs the question, what are these chains really for? The cave amplified my roar as I shoved my father face first into the water. His body did not resist. Devoid of consciousness, it simply laid there, drowning. Instantly, the beasts rounded on me, bursting with rage. Before they could corner me, I leapt off the stone slab into the water near my father. An instant later, I felt the hot breath of a tiger on my neck. I knelt down beside my father, grabbing his submerged head in both hands. Don't! I screamed. Or I'll snap his neck, and you'll all die with him. The tiger retreated seconds at most. Already I saw snakes edging closer to the pool. They'd be too quick underwater. One bite would take me down. Or they could all stampede. Either way, I could not possibly hold them off. Pure animal fear held them back, but it would not last. If my hunch was correct, I had to prove it now. Are you listening? I called out. Do you see this? I'm not following the stream anymore. I'm done playing games. I don't know why you're keeping him here, but I know killing him's going to prick up your plans good. Unless you want us both dead, I need answers. Now! Splashing from beneath me. My father was convulsing involuntarily. I held him down. The beasts of the feral soul summoned their courage. The tiger growled. The snakes charged into the murky water. 
Mankmanks picked up stones and hurled them. Birds swarmed over my head, screeching and pecking at my eyes. I said, now! Like roaches, the menagerie scattered. They broke for the cave's exit, snarling and snapping to get ahead of one another. I tried to make sense of it when I felt a sudden absence in the pool beneath me. I collapsed into the water. Drenched, I searched the pool for my father. He was nowhere to be found. Until I looked up at the stone slab and saw him there once more. He was dripping wet, sputtering and coughing. Alive, but asleep and unaware. I'm sorry, father, I thought painfully. I had to do it. I had to know. A freezing cold came over me. The cave somehow seemed darker, more infinite in space. It was impossible. I suddenly felt as though I'd spent eternity inside this cave. I stood up, not daring to look back at the looming presence I felt behind me. It was not my choice to make. No matter where I looked, his face found me. Or rather, his faces. The masks came out of the darkness. Dozens of them. Hundreds. Each topping a long stalk of black shadow. Each one as inscrutable and alien as the last. Masks with seven eyes. Masks with writhing tendrils. Masks that mirrored my own thoughts, shifting sand-like to reflect them. They stood like stalagmites in the dark cave pool, staring down at me from their stalks. And a thousand voices rippled through the cavern in unison. All of them as old as the stars, as legion as the great many ways a man Die. Mortal kind nears its final act, Claude Vandere, spoke Winbarian. But if you insist, I will draw back the curtain. Echoes of Exeser is written, produced, and performed by Nick Walker. Sound effects courtesy of GarageBand and Freesound.org. Outro song by Brittany Rea, also known as Music Speak, on SoundCloud. Link in the description. For questions or comments, email me at echoesofexeser at gmail.com.